Hello, strong, feisty women. Some of you may recognize my voice. I'm Celine Yeager, host of the Hit Play Not Pause podcast. Throughout my career as a professional health and fitness writer and now a podcaster, I hear countless questions from women who are trying to understand how their ever-changing hormones impact their sports performance. So we decided to serve up some answers in a brand new series called Hormonal that we will be releasing on the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast feed. Throughout this four-part series, reproductive endocrinologist Dr. Carla DiGirolamo and I will be tackling topics like periods, the pill, pregnancy, and conditions like PCOS, all from the perspective of sports performance. If you aren't already, follow the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast and stay tuned for our first episode releasing on April 15th. Also, have questions you want answered? Send us a voice note at speakpipe.com slash hormonal and we'll get it answered on the show. You are listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, a podcast for women who are chasing epic and everyday adventures on their bikes. We are a production of Live Feisty Media and hosted by Christy Moan and Katherine Taylor. Good morning, Catherine. <laughs> First. Well, you know, I'm working on it. Like, yeah, you kind of called me out there on this last one. So <laughs> I'm really impressed. Uh, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How We've had like this gorgeous weather all week in Atlanta. Like it was in, in the, yeah, in the <laughs> it was in the seventies. And then today I went outside and it was like in the thirties. <laughs> Some a little whiplash. It was like 18 degrees here yesterday. It was awful. Yeah. I mean, so over it. We just have such weird winters always where it'll be like 70 degrees one day and then 30 degrees two days later. Like my daffodils are all blooming. So it's January. It's weird. It's weird. So yeah. Well, I'm getting out of town. So I know you I'm gonna go do that. A race coming up. I do. And it's not uh, a bike race. No, it's a trail. I'm doing 22K trail race in Cave Creek, Arizona on the 6th. So coming right up. That is very exciting. Yeah. What made you decide to do a trail race? Him. <laughs> so your husband's short and is, is, is he doing the race with you? Not doing it. I miss my bike. So. Yeah. We will be reuniting. Yeah. yeah. I really I enjoy trail like running. That. It's kind of like, it's a good, um, especially for me, because like to load my bike up, I have to go somewhere to ride. And there's actually yeah. some trails that are pretty close to here that I could have a nice four mile loop. But I took Belle on, um, who's my dog, on um, Tuesday, whatever day it was super nice here. And she's not in shape. She like yeah. ran three quarters of a mile and then I drug her along on a fast hike for the next four miles. Yeah. It was kind of miserable. That's kind of all right now. But 
but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm ready to go do this. So, oh, yeah. I, and it'll be interesting from the event side perspective. I'm interested to watch their COVID protocols and see how they put it all together. And, and I am, I'm looking forward to, I have low expectation of performance, but high expectation of experience. So yeah, yeah I'm looking forward to seeing new trails and, um, you know, it'll be fun. Is, so. What's the scenery like out there? I don't know. <laughs> Are you the kind of person that doesn't pay attention to like the elevation profile and all no. like all that stuff at a race? You just show up and do it. I just show up and do it. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of bad at that too. So I've for years coached this tri-team with uh, Warner Media at the CNN Center. So with CNN employees, basically. And the last time I coached, there's this area called Peachtree City where everything's known to be pretty flat. I was like, it's going to be a flat course. It's a flat course. Everything's flat. And I did the race with them. And uh, because I'm a strong swimmer, I was out on the bike ahead of most people. And I was like, this is not flat. (laughs) I should have read the course profile. (laughs) Okay. Now you've gotten my head. So I'm probably going to go look, but anyway. (laughs) Well, you're not coaching like a group of 50 people. That's true. (laughs) Telling them that it's a flat race. Well, um, go ahead. <laughs> well, I had a good transition. Oh, you were going to be impressed. <laughs> I don't think it's a good transition when we tell everybody it was a good transition. But today's guest started as a triathlete. She did. I was on the phone with two triathletes and you were on the phone with two Kansans. So I know it was kind of crazy. Yeah. It's good. Um, Mary yeah. Yes, Mary Beth Orr. And I met Mary Beth uh, through the Trek Women's Advocate Program. We sat together on a bus ride and got to know her and just have chit-chatted with her back and forth this year, but watched some of the cool things she's doing on social media. This woman is busy. She yeah. has four children. She's a physician. And she's helped start. Some- so she's doing three things. Like she's, she's doing three of the physical things, not just one or two. Yeah. She's a donkey. She visits named Chester. It's not her donkey, but this is a, this was a good chat. And, uh, I don't know if I've ever met somebody as optimistic and positive as Mary Beth. So, um, if you need a little pick me up in times of COVID, she's, she's here for you. Yeah. And we get into everything from helping start a black girls do bike chapter to, vaccines when Mary Beth feels safe about events, what's going to help us get back to events and her whole story of getting on the bike. So I, this is a good one. Yeah. So it's a long one too. So we're going to go ahead and get onto the show. Hey, Christy. Hi, Catherine. Hey, are you thinking about your 2021 gravel adventures? I don't know who isn't thinking your 2021 gravel adventures. <laughs> I know. Well, I kind of have a new bucket list race. What is it? It is a gravel stage race right outside of Calgary, Canada called the Trans Rockies Gravel Royale. Have you heard of this? Um, you know what? I have. I think it sounds amazing. Four days, four days of riding, 230 miles, 23,000 feet of climbing, and it's all in the Canadian Rockies. I think that sounds epic. Yeah, it's setups where they carry your tents, cook your food, and provide your medical support and more. And like set up a big party every night. That is the best kind of glamping right there. Yeah, it's really the only kind of glamping I will do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe that. 
And you know what's cool is they are holding early bird spots for women because they're really working to get more women on the starting line. So if people are interested, where do you think they should go, Christy? Uh, TransRockiesGravelRoyale.com. I bet that site's got all the information. I think it does. And fingers crossed we'll be at some awesome 2021 adventure soon. I am again surrounded by Kansas sons. I know. <laughs> Is that Kansas. how you say it? Kansas? Kansans? Kansas sons? Kansas. Kansas. Yeah. Kansas. <laughs> Christy and Mary Beth, how are y'all? Wonderful. <laughs> well, um, we are super excited to have Mary Beth or with us today. Mary Beth and I were friends from the Trek Women's Advocate Program. So good to see you, Mary Beth. Yes. I think we sat on the bus ride out to headquarters or maybe back from headquarters one day and we chatted. Great conversation. So many, because it was like a 45 minute drive every day. So lots of good time to chat with people on those bus rides. Yeah. And triathlon with you too. Yeah. Yeah. And the triathlon connection. And Christy, you don't know Mary Beth, even though I thought all Kansans knew each other. <laughs> well, I know her now. And in, in a true gravel cycling community fashion, it feels like you make fast friends in this world. So, you know, yes. I know a friend. So there you go. <laughs> yes. You're, if you ride gravel, you're my pal. If you're yeah. a woman and you ride gravel, you are certainly on my list of forever <laughs> friends. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty easy to find each other. <laughs> yeah, that is true. So. Well, Mary Beth, you ride all kinds of bikes. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about who you are and how you got into cycling and you mentioned triathlon you, and you also were signed up for unbound 200 last year, like all the things you do on a bike. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I really haven't been a cyclist um, for too long. I got into riding a bike in basically 2012. And I, that kind of was spurred by a need for lifestyle changes. At that time, um, I found myself being kind of an unhealthy person, both physically and mentally. And um, I needed to bring myself around and make some better choices for my family, for myself and being a physician. I needed, I knew that I needed to um, provide a better example um, of how to be healthy in the world. Um, my dad came down with cancer uh, too. And we knew that that was going to be a, not a fun road and he was likely not going to survive it. So we didn't know how much time we had left. And he was one of my best friends. And instead of sitting on the couch and folding away and crying every day, um, I got out and started getting active and started running. And I've always um, been a swimming, always loved swimming. And then I had some friends that I met at a gym that uh, were cyclists and rode uh, bicycles all the time. And they said, you ought to come on a bike ride with us sometime. I said, I don't even, I don't have a bike. So they loaned me a bike and uh, we started riding. And I think that first road ride, boom, hooked. And then another friend gave me an entry into a triathlon and said, well, 
you you can put those three things together. And I said, oh, okay, so we'll bike on Friday, run on Saturday, swim on Sunday, right? They said, oh no, you do them together, <laughs> back to back. And I said, you're crazy, <laughs> what? I, I can't do that. But um, so anyway, found out, well, okay, I, I guess I'm gonna do that. But even then I, I didn't trust myself and it still worried me. So the very first triathlon I did was an indoor one where we just swam in the indoor pool for so many minutes as far as you can go. And then you got, got out and did a stationary bike, you know, for so many miles. And then you did the indoor track and it, I knew right then and there, this is awesome. And that first triathlon, the indoor triathlon was the day of my dad's memorial. So we had kind of a, a late, late morning memorial. So it gave me time to go do that in the morning, come home, shower, go to dad's memorial and that was it, life-changing. And I knew, and dad was speaking to me that time when he was sick too, and, and telling me, you got to move on. You got to live your life. I can't, I can't have you down. I don't want you missing me. I want you to take care of your family. I want you to take care of you. So took off from there. Um, and through meeting the road cyclists and meeting triathletes, I signed up for more triathlons. And I think I ended up that very first year doing seven triathlons. I got hooked so quick. <laughs> I know it was crazy. Like who does seven their first season? I just loved it. It was just such good therapy. And, uh, you know, physically all the changes were happening. I was losing weight. I needed to lose weight, um, to be healthier. My body felt better. My mind felt better. It was relaxing. It was, um, just invigorating all around. And every, every race I did, I knew my dad was watching and, cheering me on. And I knew, Oh, I'm making him so proud doing this stuff. So then it just kind of snowballed from there. Um, I, I learned that, wow, there's different kinds of bikes out there. And, uh, there's actually a triathlon type of bike. Like, Ooh, those are pretty. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Ooh, those make you they're pretty, fast. but then you're like, but they're not very comfortable once you start riding gravel bikes. <laughs> yes, exactly. So <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so my, my friends that I had met initially and started riding road bikes with too, they said, you know, you, you need to get on a gravel bike. You live out, you live in Kansas, first of all, and you live down three miles down a gravel road. You know, you could just ride right down your driveway and not have to pack your bike up and drive anywhere. How about you just try out gravel? And so I saved up and they took me to a friend, uh, a bike shop that uh, was owned by one of their friends, put me on a gravel bike. And I thought, oh, okay. I just rode it around the parking lot. Honestly, I liked it because I loved the colors. It was green and black. <laughs> and I thought, oh, it's pretty. <laughs> I'll take it. It's green and black. <laughs> Those are my two favorite then, colors. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but then when I got it home, and got on that gravel bike and rode out of my driveway that easy and got on the gravel roads it was like oh wow this is a whole nother universe of bicycling this is amazing it's so peaceful out here i had no idea the beauty that i was surrounded by like just literally three miles down the road there's this amazing creek 
from where I live. It's like, I drive over this Creek every day on my way to take kids to school, go to work. I drive this, but I never in the, I think we've lived out here literally for 15 years and I never noticed, uh, yeah, go over the bridge, but on a bicycle. Wow. On a gravel bike, again, uh, just absolutely stunning. And, uh, just opened up a whole new beautiful world and an appreciation for my surroundings. I had no idea this stuff was here. So then I rode a little further on a couple rides later, I got addicted pretty quick and started riding that gravel bike out around my house. I found a donkey <laughs> that is 4.37 miles from my house <laughs> and his name is Chester. And I started, <laughs> I would stop at Chester's place and pet him. And that was a big motivation to get out there and ride. Like, oh, if I ride today, I need to go see Chester again. And I started taking him snacks. And then the owner stepped out of the house one day and said, I'd heard you'd been by a few times. My son said there was some lady on a bicycle that kept stopping by to say hi to Chester. And I started talking to this lady and found out we went to the same high school. So she's a local Kansan, live here forever. And they own a farm. So this is on a farm too. So there's cattle and they actually raise um, Hereford pigs. Uh, so, and I, so anyway, so it's just opened my world. Like this all came from riding this gravel bike. I met a wonderful donkey who's my buddy. I got to learn about uh, dairy cattle. And then I got to learn that there's Hereford pigs that they're raising and they sell from this farm. And then I got to meet up with a friend that I actually went to high school with. She's a few years ahead of me. So she would have been a senior when I was a freshman, but we know each other. So small world. So, um, so that took off from there. So gravel riding, um, it's just, it, it's made me a better cyclist all around too. So as you all know, too, riding gravel <clears throat> makes you so strong physically it's constantly forcing you to adjust to different types of terrain um, the unexpected um, especially in kansas my gosh you don't know what's going to come up when you go over that hill you may run into oh great leavenworth county just put huge chunky gravel <laughs> after this hill and you, you didn't didn't know it was coming so you better adjust so the strength that I have built by riding gravel has transferred over into my road cycling, triathlon. I'm telling, I can put down the watts on that time trial bike, and I, it's taken off from there. So, um, I've I always try to have the best female time <laughs> on the bike portion, at least <laughs> uh, my local races. And uh, excuse me, with that too, I've kind of taken off in that triathlon world too and got invited to age group nationals in milwaukee and then we went to omaha one year um so i oh and then we went to cleveland last year so but it again it, it comes back to that gravel bike and everything that i've built with that and it's just taken off and meeting people in the in the gravel community has been a blast so so they encouraged me to sign up for the dk which is now unbound gravel uh so in 2019 i did my first uh, DK 100, absolutely hooked. And I was sad that it was over. It's like, Whoa, wait a minute. 101 miles. We're done. No. <laughs> hey, Christy, do you hear that very often? <laughs> uh, no, no. Usually it's like 
people want me to take their bike and never give it back to them when they <laughs> cross the finish line. <laughs> but yes, I, the hundred, I, I love the hundred mile distance for that reason. Like you can still race it and have a really hard day on the bike. Um, and then you can finish and still, you know, hang out and enjoy the party versus, you know, the 200 miler people are pretty shelled when they finish that. Um, rightfully so. Yes. Yeah. But I wouldn't know, haven't done that distance yet, but I'm looking forward to taking on that challenge. (laughs) But yes, you're right. hundred miles on gravel, especially Flint Hills is, um, enough to kind of, yeah, suck it out of you, but in a good way to make you feel like, uh, uh, I just got that sucked out of me, but I feel great. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm constantly looking for, um, local rides around here. And we're again, just uh, lucky to be here. And, um, there's pretty much, uh, especially during the season in, in spring and throughout the summer, there's pretty much a gravel ride almost every weekend somewhere where somebody's organized one. And speaking of that, I, had actually started to organize one from my house <laughs> last November. I had a group that we were organizing. We were going to call it the pre-Thanksgiving gravel bash. And I had a route set up, everything. We just decided COVID is just not going to let that happen. So yeah. we put that off. But I have a wonderful community with the Lawrence Bicycle Club. And then I ride with another club called Retro Velo. And they are a local group that's a branch of the Lawrence Bicycle Club. And they're pretty much our retired folks. And these people are badasses, uh, 65 plus. And they, they have welcomed me into their group because I have Thursdays off during the week. And they ride, of course, during the day because they're retired on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So I latched onto that group and they, they have been wonderful and so welcoming uh, to me to get to ride in their group. And there's uh, several gravel riders in there and they were talking about, let's do a ride from your house and let's ride down and see Chester. <laughs> so that is in the works. So I'm planning on starting an annual ride as soon as it's safe and we can start doing that and that is going to take place right from my own home what a dream come true to organize a ride from my house and then we're going to have a barbecue afterwards with one of my local high school buddies that actually opened a local barbecue joint here in the last year they're going to cater barbecue and it's going to be fun so those are my plans <laughs> we need to know when this ride is and i also think you should call it the chester ride yes Yes, we need to put Chester in the theme for sure. Well, I was going to pass out at the beginning. My plan is to Chester loves animal crackers. That's his favorite. We always have a, they, his owners have a big jar sitting out of the barn that I go grab every time I stop by. So I'm going to hand out little baggies of animal crackers for everybody that comes to my ride that, and we're going to know, okay, Chester's at mile 4.37 and you're going to, <laughs> he wants animal crackers. So here you go. <laughs> That's just a weight problem when this whole thing is so <laughs> <I know. laughs> Yes. Uh, we have some goats on my route that we always stop to see and everybody gives them snacks. Um and it's really yeah. funny because it's not exactly on the route, like you have to go off just a tiny bit. And I know who I'm riding with because of like there's a certain group that we will always stop to see the goats no matter what. <laughs> yes, goats. Thank you happy. Yes. 
that is one of my dreams too. So I'm I'm going to plan another ride <laughs> where we will basically make it the farm tour. And uh, there's stops along the way where I can pick out a specific route where we have donkeys, horses, goats, chickens, um, pigs, um, alpacas, llamas. So I'm going to do the farm tour also. That'll be another ride I'm developing. <laughs> yeah. That one needs to have a little scavenger hunt piece to it. Yes. Maybe Christy's like planning this ride now. <laughs> yes. Come plan with me. Right where my brain goes. It's so bad. <laughs> oh, we could do this <laughs> immediately. So I, I need to plan no, no other events. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. I okay, so in your day job, Mary Beth, you yeah. are a physician, correct? You, you yes, mentioned. I'm a family physician. And obviously this has been a challenging year for medical professionals. How's, how has the year been for you? Cause Kansas in the first wave didn't really have a lot, like the COVID cases were pretty low and then all of a sudden it pretty much just slammed you all. Right. Yes. Yeah. We thought we were kind of safe for a while there, but, um, things quickly change as they often do in the medical world and with unpredictable viruses that, it, nobody knows anything about, nobody's seen before. Um, I know when I applied to medical school and got in and got through residency training, I, I had no idea that I would be faced with a pandemic someday. And uh, that's a when you learn more about medicine and you learn about viruses in particular, it's that's a scary, scary deal. Um, <clears throat> the scary thing about viruses is they're so simple. We were talking about DNA and RNA and anything that messes with that is uh, very frightening. So, um, but anyway, you know, it's, you have to make a decision. You're faced with this. Um, and I knew way back when this all started coming down in February, March of 2020, um, you gotta, okay, how are we going to handle this? We got to move forward. I have to move forward. I don't have the type of job that I can work from home, at least at that time. Uh, we didn't really have, we hadn't developed any telemedicine yet. Um, so I have to go in and medicine doesn't stop. You can't close and we're not Kohl's. Um, so we got to keep going. So um, I tried to you know, educate myself, learn as much as I could. And most of all, listen to my professionals, listen to the people that are leading this fight, listen to the hospital, um, the administration, uh, but most importantly, I tried to really stick with our infectious disease, our local infectious disease specialist uh, through Lawrence Memorial Hospital. And they have been uh, amazing in their support and their giving to our local community and keeping us safe. So um, I just, make, make good decisions through the way. And also that I was thinking about how <clears throat> with all the negative stuff that's come out and there, there is a lot of obviously negative stuff and scary stuff. The only thing that's really got me through too, is finding the positive in each challenge that I'm faced with every day and learning from it and making sure that I get something from each situation and try to apply that to the next day. 
and move forward and constantly look for the positives and look for where, where can we go with this? What can we do with it? How can we help people? Uh, I've been challenged to even more so than ever, um, hold my composure, have poise, uh, which has been difficult at times. I'm not going to lie. I had many times where I just went to bed crying or I got really angry, um, and punched the pillow. Um, but I tried not to make that visible to important people in public, but my family got to see it, but thank God they still accept me and they understand. Uh, but it's okay to have those emotions through this. And that leads on to the need for, uh, to have grace, uh, for myself and with other people, um, helping my patients, uh, through this scary time. I've tried to let each person be where they're at and meet them where they're at. We have some people that uh, some patients that said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying home. No way. I'm not going to touch anything. I don't even, I don't want to, I'll talk to you on the phone. Like, okay. All right. So we've got to, this is a challenge. I got to adapt. How do I adapt? How can I help this person that needs to stay home? And we need to take care of what their, what their needs are. Lots of phone calls to, you know, visiting nurses, people that need care, um, but they can't leave their house. Um, but then also other people who maybe have been the opposite and have said, I don't believe any of this. This isn't, this isn't happening. I don't need to wear a mask. This is all just a hoax. Um, those have been certainly challenging. I've tried to, again, be non-judgmental but uh, help where I can, help with educating, uh, educating in a personal way, in an empathetic way as best I can too, um, and trying to understand where, where thoughts are and trying to put myself in someone else's shoes and see where they're coming from. But most importantly, trying to you know, bring us all together so that we can fight this together and make good decisions and move forward and defeat this. So it has been, yeah, challenges. Wow, that's an, an understatement. I don't even know there should be a new word in the dictionary to apply what we've faced here in 2020, all of us, but especially in the healthcare world where um, you know, we haven't seen this, especially you know, newer physicians who have you know, just finished residency or you know, I, I consider myself, even though I've been practicing for 15 years, I still consider myself, I'm new at this. <laughs> so you know, I didn't get to see polio, I have no idea. I didn't see smallpox, I didn't see that kind of stuff. So this has been, yeah, wow. And at the same I mean, time, trying to take care of my family, kids. I, I'm yeah. really curious how you've, I mean, you're, you're seeing it firsthand, obviously. You're seeing the effects of it. You know 100% that it's not a hoax. So when you're talking with people, how, how do you handle that? Like, that would be really, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes going, I don't know if I could be patient and graceful when I'm sitting here dealing with it day to day. Um, and, you know, I'm, of course, I completely appreciate your approach, but how, how does that conversation go? It can be really difficult at times. I'm not going to lie. <clears throat> I've been angry several times and just thought, are you kidding me? But it, when I look back, I, when I look at that approach, how often, if you get mad at somebody and say, God, you're dumb, 
where's that going to get you? Yeah. It's going to get you nowhere. So I have found the best way to reach people and to help them understand is first, listen to them, listen to their, their thoughts, their ideas, and then try to meet them there with their thoughts and acknowledge, okay, that's, that's another view. I can, I, I see your view and I can see where maybe some things that have happened have led you to believe that. Yes, I, I saw that report as well, or I saw something on Twitter or whatever that said, oh yeah, I, I saw that too. Um, but then try to try to help them in their journey and move to another level or see another light from your perspective then too. Um, so a lot of people say, well, you know, my 16 year old, it, there's not, they had it and they recovered and have anything that, and that's understandable. And, and thank God that happens most of the time, but yeah. you also have to remember, yeah, this virus is unpredictable and in being unpredictable, we don't know who's really, really going to be sick. And there, there are many cases where people have gotten sick and unexpectedly died and it was a healthy person and, and we didn't know, and it's not well understood. So you never know when that's going to be you. So I try to, when I talk to people that have different views, I try to, you always got to meet them where they're at, but then try to slowly help them and introduce them to other possibilities or even share personal stories. Or, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to be in a position where as a healthcare provider, people will listen often <laughs> to what what I have to say. And if I tell them, you know, certain stories that, well, there's, unfortunately there's been this that has happened. And that was just in, you know, locally, that was just a few miles from us. Um, and I always try to make sure people have good information and good resources. Um, you know, centers for disease control there, those people put out good information. Um, and I always, so somehow I try to incorporate you know, my thinking into where they're thinking and, and just, I, I want people to make good informed decisions and help them, help, help them so that they can help themselves so that we can help our community. It's tough. Yeah. And it's it like a lot of the problem with our, with the pandemic, besides it being a pandemic has been, and I'm a marketer, but a marketing issue is like, we didn't have a good communication strategy from the top down as because in a pandemic science evolves, right? Like as a new virus, yeah, we learn things. So it was like, well, they said masking didn't work. And then like, there wasn't ever a good like strategy of we learned this, right? Um, so yeah, that may, must make your job even harder. Yes, absolutely. And mm -hmm. that's where that, you know, adaptability, flexibility comes in. And that's literally, it's interesting you say that about the mask, Catherine, because we were, from the hospital standpoint, we were early in March, April, May, we literally would get emails at multiple throughout the day from the hospital, giving us new information and algorithms about, okay, here's what you do here in these boxes. And they would be these complex algorithms. Here's this step. If they have a fever, you go to B. If there's no fever, you go to C. If there's a cough, then you go to D. And it, it, it literally, I, I'm not Kim, and I'm not exaggerating. Sometimes that al algorithm, we would have three versions by the end of one day. Yeah. And so trying to keep up with, okay, wait, it's three o'clock. 
what did the 10 o'clock one say? Uh, just trying to <laughs> get each day and try to gather and get to the end of the day and have everybody, okay, are we organized and set a plan for the next day? And what is the 759 email going to say tomorrow? Where do we go? Um, so we've been forced to, you know, move things around quick. And again, in our, I have a small clinic. I think we have a total of 12 exam rooms and we had, you know, one of them was just plain storage. It's like, okay, that's a great quarantine room. Okay. We, we got to get that. And literally, you know, in just a few hours, uh, we had our nurses pull together, our front office staff, um, our nurse managers. And they said, okay, this is what we're going to do that when we have somebody, we got to come in, we're going to do this and we're going to use this room. And also this is, you know, kind of, this is great. And it, it's funny too, um, parking lot medicine. Mm. So I had never, never walked outside in, you know, a gown and my protective goggles and my, my stethoscope. I've never treated people in a parking lot before, but you know, there was one day where it's just like, well, we don't, this person's sick. They need to be seen but we really want to reduce the interaction of this person coming into the clinic and having our front office exposed. And then our nurses, the whole staff exposed, right. you know, we're not a huge building. We're pretty small. So like, wait a minute, let me just, let's have them stay in the car. I'm going to go out. I can do an exam while you're sitting in your car. No problem. I'll wear my protective equipment. I'll take, you know, I took a tub one day, uh, full of our, my rapid strep test, my flu test and then a rapid COVID test out to the parking lot. And we were able to, I just, you know, I just swabbed them right there, listen to heart and lungs, open your mouth, take a look in the car. And that saved, you know, that person didn't, they didn't have to come into the clinic. We didn't have to expose our front office staff, our nurses. Um, I was protected. So we're doing more of that. And then some yeah. people that they're not sick, but they've got to have their blood drawn. You know, we've got our diabetics people on blood pressure medicine, cholesterol medicine, there are monitoring labs we got to do every six months. Well, we've got, you know, some people like only crystal in your clinic will draw my lab only her. So like, okay, but they don't want to come in. No, I'm not coming into your clinic. I don't want to set foot anywhere. So, okay. Can you do a drive-through? Let's have them come through the drive-through. We sent crystal out our phlebotomist draw blood. We're, we're still doing that now and it's working though. So I know those other people I can see them on and now telemedicine. It's like, I had to learn telemedicine. I'm not kidding overnight. It's like, here's the email. Here's how you do telemedicine PDF file, read it, create an account. You're on tomorrow with the 8:30 AM appointment telemedicine. See you then. Like, okay. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, I, and I am not learning problem solving, huh? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah. retired physicians might be good race directors. <laughs> see all the problem solving. <laughs> <laughs> right. Give me a go with this gravel organization and then hey, <laughs> we'll organize a race. I'll figure this out. Yeah. You'll figure it out. You'll be just fine. That. And then and I, I never thought about COVID as a marketing problem, but it's totally a marketing problem. <laughs> um, you know, that's, yeah. it's, it's interesting because it like sitting here as you're talking through this, I'm thinking, wow, we did, we really did have a misstep there in how we marketed COVID. Um, you know, it's, yeah. I, I think if there's one, one remiss that 
or big misstep I think we had kind of as a country was that looking back when everything was coming out in, in February, March, there was a part of me that even into April that thought, you know, this is going to be a time where maybe we actually have something where we can bring the country back together. You know, this is going to be a challenge that it's going to take all of us to do our part to get through it. And I feel like we really missed an opportunity on creating unity around, around a challenge like COVID. And instead we have these, this complete divisive, it became, it became another divisive issue. And that was, that was hard to see. So, and I think it's affected, like it, it's weird how small towns in Kansas, I think it's even more so where you've got people that are really trying to, to think of, of the greater good and be careful and, and then others that are just like, this is a hoax. And I'm like, how do you think this is a hoax? Where, where do 430,000 lives become a hoax? Um, that's, it's a bummer. Cause I think we missed, we missed that opportunity. So hopefully we can correct it in 2021 a little bit. So. Well, Mary yeah. Beth, so in the middle of you doing all of this as a physician, having four children, um, that you are taking care of and visiting Chester, um, you also saw another big need and started something in your community. And I would love for you to kind of tell the story. And I've only seen it on social. I've not heard the story of how this all came about, like what moved you this way. So can you tell us about helping launch up black girls do bike in your community? Yes. One of my favorite subjects, <laughs> especially here recently. Um, yeah, so Lawrence, Kansas, we have a brand new Black Girls Do Bike chapter that was founded in, um, I'm saying October of 2020. Perfect. So that goes back to finding positivity and making your own positivity in dark, scary times. So that's something we'll always remember. When was Black Girls Do Bike in Lawrence, Kansas? 2020? Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, so Catherine, um, getting to meet you and, and the women at the Trek Women's Advocate Summit in, I guess that would have been 2019 now. Um, I, that was a life-changing experience and seeing how lives truly can be changed on with, with a bicycle, uh, getting to learn about programs that are out there. I'd never heard of Black Girls Do Bike. I didn't, I didn't know there was such a thing, but meeting Adina and Diana, and those women that are part of that group and, and so strong behind that and such an excellent force for women of color, I saw a need when I came back home, uh, looking around thinking, we don't have anything like that here. And I am, I'm blessed um, here. Well, and Lawrence is a very, Lawrence, Kansas is a pretty diverse uh, community, pretty diverse town. Um, we have, see in Lawrence, we've got Haskell Indian Nations University, um, and Lawrence has been fairly liberal from what I know, what I understand too. Um, so there's a lot, many, 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 um, families of color living here in Lawrence, and I'm blessed to have many friends of color and women of color in particular. And I've been a, a member of a local, just a small, um, locally owned gym that I've been to uh, for 10 years. And the beauty of that is, you know, you get to meet 
a lot of people at, at your gym over those years. And I've been so blessed to meet so many incredible, strong, amazing women. And I had one of my good buddies, uh, her name is Sybil Gibbs. I met her about eight years ago through the gym. And it was one of those things where when we go to our workouts, we just kept finding ourselves partnering together because we laugh and push each other. And uh, Sybil, I, when I learned more about her, she is a local um, advocate uh, for people of color and uh, very strong in her community. And she's lived in Lawrence her entire life. She grew up here and she has a family here. Um, and I was thinking, wow. Uh, and I, I know Sybil uh, also, she's uh, loves the outdoors. She's always got, if you follow her Instagram posts, she's loves going on runs and taking pictures of where her trail run was today. And she she always has some beautiful words that goes along with what she learned and what she gained and, and on her run. And she, I knew she had a bicycle. She didn't ride it too often, but I knew she had been out a few times. And I thought, this is perfect. I don't know. I wonder if Sybil knows anything about black girls do bike. So we set up a coffee meeting on a Saturday morning. I said, Sybil, we need to chat because I think you need to learn about this. <laughs> and I, I think this would be a great thing. And you seem perfect with as busy as you are um, in the local community with um, helping out with um, the needs of our community. She's busy with the, the food pantry, um, always volunteering everywhere. This She's so active in her volunteerism and getting her family to volunteer and being a local advocate. So uh, that's all it took. We had coffee and chatted for about an hour and we got on the website and we're looking stuff up. And she said, I got it. I think I was called for this. Let's go. Wow. So, so, uh, I, I can't really take much more. I can't take any credit from there on cause Sybil has taken off and she wrote letters. She has actually got some proposals written up where she's uh, asking for some grant money from, from other places to help get this set up. And she transformed her own personal garage into a bike garage because she wanted to get as many women of color involved in these bike rides and not um, have it be um, an access issue. She wanted to completely eliminate that access issue. So she already had her own bicycle and then she had two bikes that were her daughters too. So she uh, put out a, a, an ask on social media and said, hey, if anybody has a bike you're not using, I'd like it. Can you bring it to me, please? And it, it's taken off from there. So our local truck shop has also helped her with that. And they put out a local um, uh, a post on their uh, Facebook page saying, hey, who, does anybody have a bike? Because we want, we want it. If you're not using it, we've got a new club forming here, Black Girls Do Bike. And I don't know what her number is right now, but I want to say she's upwards of, oh, maybe up to 15 bikes now that have been donated. And she is keeping these in her garage. And she has had, uh, I believe, four or five rides now. Uh, since October of last year and her turnout has been wonderful and she will supply your bicycle, your helmet, your gear, uh, even if you've never ridden a bike before, women of color, uh, it's contact Sybil. She's got her own email 
she has set this up and she, it, they, it was awesome when I think on their second ride, they coined their slogan muscles and melanin. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? I love it. So, yes. So muscles and melanin. And I know she's just waiting for the weather to get a little bit nicer. And I think it's really going to take off from there, but the local truck shop here has um, helped with that. And they are servicing the bicycles for her and getting these up and ready for any women, women of color who wants to join their group and go for a ride. So you don't have to have anything. If you have your own bike, great, bring it. But if you don't, you will not be excluded. You can come and ride. We will make it work. And if all 15 bikes are spoken for that day, we'll find you another bike. We will work with you. So we're just trying to make that access and really grow that community. And the, the, women in, in Lawrence, Kansas, uh, the community, uh, women of color are, are an amazing force. So, uh, they're are strong together and making this pretty awesome. I want to ride with them. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait until I ride, but yeah, there it's, it's been wonderful to watch. And I'm so I, proud of my, friends. I know I was gonna say, I need to connect with her for sure. So maybe, yes. yeah. Do they ride any gravel? Do they go see Chester? <laughs> they have so far they have ridden on our local uh path well it's the levee trail uh they haven't done any you know tough gravel chester can be on a stretch of gravel that can be kind of some nasty gravel at times depending on the state of the county there if they put down some stuff but yes he he certainly will be on the list of places to go. She's just getting started, and so far they they kind of st stayed to just local easy access yeah. trails. But it's gonna it's gonna take off. Yeah, I love that story, Mary Beth, because I think that there were and even within the track group, because you and I saw a lot of things that happened within there. There was just like a lot of unknowing what to do, and you just used your connections and your. Um, just the entries that you had to give somebody else a platform that was the right person to lead. And I think sometimes we're like, how do I do this? This feels so overwhelming. And it's, it's not that much. So sometimes like you're a physician working with COVID, you know, dealing with that and, you know, living your life too. And you're able to just speak life into this woman and, you know, use your connections yes. with Trek and so forth. So I think like, that's such a, powerful story for our community that's really looking for yeah. ways to serve yeah if the passion is there absolutely that that'll take over i i i obviously have a passion for being outside being on bicycles and knowing sybil for as long as i've known her i know sybil's passion and i know it, that's all it took it really didn't take much work because when you're when your passion is is there and your will and your love for something is there that'll do all the work for you. And that's what's yeah. happened with Sybil. I mean, yeah, it sounds like a lot of work to collect all these bicycles, service them and put it all together. And it is, but with what Sybil's passion has just led her down the, the path and it's, it's done it for her. She's an amazing woman. I can't wait for you guys to meet her. Yeah. I totally want to meet her. So. Yes. Luckily she's not that far away from me. Sorry, Catherine. <laughs> come visit Kansas maybe sometime. I don't know. The last two shows we've had lots of Kansans on. I know. We've had lots of Kansans on. In Kansas. <laughs> not coming there while it's cold. Yeah. <laughs> it is well, chilly. 
it's chilling yeah so yeah all right so are you gonna try I'm curious so I know like this is a hard question to ask and we won't hold you to anything but obviously everybody's like when's it gonna be safe to ride again what's your like as a doctor when are you feeling comfortable this doesn't any everybody makes their own choices but just curious curious about you like when are you hoping to go to events again yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Um, so for writing, um, I'm, I'm a member of the Lawrence bicycle club and I'm on the board of directors. So being over this past year, making those decisions for our club has again, forced forces to be flexible, forces to adapt, forces to make decisions on the fly. Um, come up with, okay, we've got, you know, we've got our regular, regular Saturday morning ride. Uh, it's Friday evening. What are we doing? We got to let people know. Um, so we have really done the best we can to follow our local community guidelines and our local health leaders and the health department, uh, recommendations as well as state recommendations. So those have been really important for us to keep up with. Okay, what 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 are they saying now? What you know? Listen to Governor Kelly here in Kansas, um, and our local uh, health leaders, the health department, and we're we're going to stick with what they say. So that we've followed them, and when they, you know, started loosening some of the guidelines, well, we first of all we cut off all rides throughout um, the early in the season, uh, and we picked them back up. I believe oh, I think it might have been July. But it was with we met and had um, meetings on how are we gonna how are we all gonna ride safe together in these group rides. So we came up with our own set of rules and guidelines and made sure that every, all of our club members knew. Okay, this is what we're doing. Instead of the big group of 25 people on Saturday for a muffin ride, we're going to have we're gonna just do smaller groups. No drafting. Number one, no drafting on our road rides. Um, so we've tried to set forth those guidelines for the most part, I think they've been followed. And again, that's the amazing thing about cyclists and our, our community of cyclists here that I've been so proud of. Uh, people have adapted and found ways to make it work for themselves um, to keep riding. Uh, our, we have two local rides here that are huge rides that we put on every year that we get upwards of you know, 200 and some riders that come even from out of town. We went virtual with those this year. And like you said earlier, Christy, scavenger hunt, that's exactly what we did. We set up a Facebook event and we did, um, we said, okay, this is typically the weekend that we do our annual lizard ride. Um, and instead, you know, this is, this is a route that you can follow. You don't have to follow it. It's, it's, it's there if you want, take any route you want. You can, we want you to ride at least 15 miles. And along the way, we've got categories of scavenger hunt. One of our categories was roadkill. <laughs> so we had, <laughs> I know it was awful, but it was fun. So <laughs> we set up in that Facebook group and we said, okay, here's the things you've got to pick, um, you know, parks, local parks. We need three local parks. We need a picture of roadkill. We need uh, trash along the, the <laughs> any piece of trash is interesting. Um, uh, uh, wildlife, alive wildlife. Uh, flowers, plants, trees. Um, so we had these categories and you got entered for prizes based on how many, uh, how many things did you get in each category? And we had people post their information to our Facebook event uh, group and put their pictures up. And 
we required selfies as well. So we did that twice last year for our two big rides and it was a hit. And it, it not only, you know, got people, it kept them riding, thank God, but it was safe. And it brought a lot of people out of their shell too. And we saw people on there like, can you believe Leo had, did you see Leo's <laughs> selfie? It was hilarious. Like, we've never known Leo to be in any of our pictures, but there he is on his bike, you know, taking a selfie with a dead possum. <laughs> so uh, that's how, that's how we did locally was our virtual rides. Um, to get back to your question about events, uh, when is it safe to go back to events? Well, um, I've been impressed with what Unbound Gravel, I guess, has done so far. They've put out, you know, here's what we're doing and, and tried to make it clear, you know, what their, what their guidelines are. Um, is it safe? I don't know. I, I, I go back and forth. One morning I'll get up and I'll say, it's, it's okay, it's safe. But then the next morning I'll get up and I'll say, it's too early, we can't do this yet. Um, I personally feel like um, as the vaccine rolls out, which I, I've completed my vaccine um, two weeks ago today. So I am two weeks out completing the two vaccine series. Yay. Um, I'm still doing everything exactly the same though. I'm not, not masking. I'm doing everything exactly. So nothing has changed for me. I just maybe feel happier inside. Thank God. But as the vaccine rolls out, I think we'll over the next few months, it's gonna get better. It's gonna get better. It's just gonna take that time as we get more and more people vaccinated and we really start to develop that herd immunity. So having said that, I would like to use this as a platform to, to encourage everyone, when your number is called, when it's your time, go get your COVID-19 vaccine. Do not waste your shot, go get it. It's the only way I think we are going to defeat this and move forward. Do you want to get back to those events? Do you want to get back to writing in big groups with a bunch of people? You want to get back to, you know, getting your water from the water spigot, picking up your snacks at the SAGs and not have that worry that you could come in contact with a deadly virus? Yeah, me too. I want to get back to that. So let's get there. So get your vaccine. Yes, you may not get sick if you get COVID. It may be a minor illness, but... What about the next person? You just, you don't know who's going to get sick. And if you, well, you can, don't want to be the one spreading it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. If you can take that vaccine and prevent yourself or even one other person from being admitted to the ICU, being put on a ventilator, it is so worth it. Yeah. I did have a small reaction after the second dose of the vaccine. I, I felt maybe a little more fatigue, maybe a little more muscle aches. Uh, it was a Friday though. And I'm, I'm usually kind of mentally spent on Fridays anyway, but I did notice I felt a little more tired, but again, I would do it again. I would do it again in a heartbeat. It was yeah. very, very worth it to yeah. avoid getting admitted to the hospital or to keep my mom out of the hospital. That's yeah. the main thing too. Yeah. So I'm on every waiting list I can get on in Atlanta. Yeah. Cause I'm yes. like, I'm on, I'm category one and they're on one C right now. And I'm like, I, the second I get the email. I won't be yes. like signing up for the first. Well, I think, I mean, you know, I know we've kind of talked a while on this, but, um, but I do think that when you're talking about the event space, the best thing that as an event director, what we're looking at is, is athlete responsibility and participating in helping get the events on, you know, that, that there's a responsibility that the athlete has to get to a start line. And that's wearing your mask. 
that's getting the vaccine if you can, that's, you know, washing your hands, that's understanding what it's going to take for us all to get there is going to be community participation. Um, you know, we can make the events as safe as we can, but the, the bulk of that falls on the athlete. So anyway, I agree 100% Christy. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. The, yes, you're exactly right. The events I, yes, I, I am for it. The events can happen. We got to have everybody on board. This is a team. So you got to change your thinking. So events, races, we're all thinking, oh, races, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, going to be racing against somebody. Well, the only way you're going to get to race against somebody and really put forth your best effort is if you first come together as a team. Yep. So you're, everybody's your teammate now, as we start to come back together and try and get these races going in a safe manner. So yes, you're going to be racing, but you're, everybody's your teammate on that day. So if we can, like you said, get, get, follow the guidelines, trust your guidelines as well. When somebody yeah. says, when you've got an expert in the field and somebody that has made immunology, their career, and they <laughs> tell you, <laughs> I wish people could have seen the look on Mary Beth's face. <laughs> when they tell you, you should do this because they have studied it for 30 years and have made it their life. You should follow those guidelines. Trust them. Do it. That's okay. All right. You are way smarter than me on this stuff. So I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to mask up. I'm going to use my hand sanitizer. I'm going to wash my hands. I'm going to keep my bike six feet away. I'm not going to, you know, slap hands. I'm going to do within the race directors. Race directors are amazing people and they are very much wanting their events to happen. So they are going to be following these guidelines as well. But the only way those race directors can do that is if they've got their athletes on board, taking the responsibility, doing what you're supposed to do, follow the guidelines. It's not that hard. It no, isn't. It's not. It's not. Well, okay. I'm good We've with the good. six feet guideline at, at any race start line. <laughs> Stay six feet from me. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, like the, the, I don't know if you guys saw, but Flaming Lips had a concert and everybody was in bubbles. <laughs> we did do that. <laughs> we start our bikes in bubbles, a bubble that like. Ah, well, okay. We got to wrap this up because we've been talking for a while. So, which has been amazing. So Mary Beth, where can people find you? Oh, find me. Okay. Um, well, uh, I have email. It's pretty easy. Um, Mary Beth or at yahoo.com M A R I B E T H O R R. So that's just my first and last name. And it's an I not a Y <laughs> at yahoo.com. So that's, that's my email. Um, or I'm on Instagram as Mary Beth or <laughs> it's all the same. <laughs> Perfect. Then, I have a feeling people are going to want to know when we get to do the Chester ride. So <laughs> yeah. Oh, I would love that. And I have room as soon as it's safe. I'm, I'm blessed to, to live in, in, uh, where our house sits. We've got, we've got several acres of property here that park your car out here. And I've got a big back patio and I'm telling you that barbed wire barbecue local here in Eudora, Kansas, they are amazing. We're going to have that right after. Um, but I'm also on Facebook as I put my uh, maiden name in there, Mary Beth Malberg or Cool. on there too um so yeah email social anything Perfect. i'd love to connect with people well yeah. hopefully we see you at a start line soon yes yes i'm planning on it vaccinate and we're going to get to those start lines 
absolutely it's going to happen. I love it. You have been listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast. This podcast is edited and produced by the team at Live Feisty Media. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating. It really helps other women find the podcast. And be sure to follow us at Girls Gone Gravel on Instagram or Facebook.